coming up in this episode of Can You Believe It? I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. Yeah. Back pain. I've already, I've already got <laughs> that. Followed by mental trauma. Oh, I got that too. So how long? How long? It doesn't say specifically. After seeing 20 him, minutes? 30 <laughs> minutes? Like, do you just go and watch an episode of Play School? Or? It, it, it just went for a whaz and come <laughs> back. and then, yeah. Yeah. Um, to punch Gunnar. <laughs> so he, he, he stopped an active shooter. Took down an active shooter. Yeah. And got the shot. The cops rolled up and went, oh, we're going to take it, t- take away the guy who killed the yeah. guy who's killing other people. <laughs> well, you can't arrest the dead man. They've got a, they've got a quota. UFOs in the skies, Illuminati's controlling your life. Can you believe it? Rock circles and Jesus toast. The time that Kesha fucked a ghost. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Hello and welcome to Can You Believe It, a semi-regular podcast on the unexplained that asks the all-important question, can you believe it? My name is Matt Neal and I'm joined, as per usual, by a celebrated human and marvel of modern engineering, the Colonel. Thanks for joining us, Colonel. Ah, it's good to be here. Good to be here. I'm also joined by son of God and light of the world, Daniel Miles. Welcome, Daniel. You are welcome and glorious in my presence. Now, before we dive into today's tale of diabolical dubiousness, let's hear a message from our sponsor, Colonel. That's right, Matt. Uh, our sponsor this week is Cuckbet. Cuckbet is back. And after that very public court case, we're fully stoked to be bringing back the bet. That's right. We're robbing you blind through a thin veneer of toxic masculinity and lad culture. You better believe we're appropriating the Australian male way of life to groom you into thinking you're a dickless mannequin if you haven't shoveled cash into our money-milking apps through our Spit Roast Multi-Special. Simply sign up six of your dumbest mates to our gateway gangbeck and we'll gluck-gluck your bank accounts quicker than you can say single dads. (laughs) Now you have the power to take it from both ends as we manhandle your multi-quad and double juice. Your money hole until you've siphoned off this year's Christmas presents. Cuck bet. Watch us. Fuck you. <laughs> All right. I'll pay that. That's better than what I wrote. <laughs> Big shout out to our sponsors at Cuckbet. They're yeah. great guys. They, yeah. Family people, I get, think. Get on the Spit Rose multi-special because it's going to be good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I'm I'm about to read a story of the unexplained uh, that it was purported to be true. I should point this out at the start of every episode. What I'm about to read is, is what someone, some people, and various various people have claimed to have actually happened. But before we do that, we need to roll roll the die of mystery. Uh, Marzi, I believe it's your turn to roll. Alrighty. I've given you a D8. If you roll an eight, you got to roll again. Last time I went on a D8 with you. No. <laughs> Oh, max damage. Roll again. Sucks. Sucks. All right. I was really hoping you're going to roll a seven there. Seven. This is is good. This is good. Thank you. I'll need that. And we should say this has all been thoroughly researched, fact-checked, peer-reviewed. Yeah. What you're giving to the Colonel and I 
is pure truth. Right? Nothing, nothing but the source. Yep. All Straight right, cool. from the bottle. All right. You ready for this? Uh, yes. Yes. Robert Leroy Johnson was born on May 8, 1911, in the Mississippi town of Hazelhurst. Up until about 60 years ago, much of Johnson's life was a mystery. As one writer put it in 1959, almost, quote, almost nothing is known about his life. There are only three photos of Johnson that were ever made public, as well as a much debated fourth possible photo, and no footage of him exists. They're the good old days when we didn't have photos of Johnson's everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I like that. As director and fan Martin Scorsese once put it, quote, the thing about Robert Johnson was the only existed on his records. He was pure legend. You guys know this story? You know where we're going with this? No. Uh, no, but I'm, I'm excited and strapped on in to, uh, to go there. This is our uh, musical episode. We've done it. We've done, uh... we, did, we, we did one about a non-existent Beatles album yeah. once. Yeah, that's one of my favourite ones. Yeah. That's pretty good. I don't listen to the podcast. That's why you're on it. Researchers over the past 60 years have gradually pieced uh, Robert Johnson's story together, with large portions remaining unknown until Johnson experts Bruce Conforth and Gail Dean Wardlow published the biography Up Jumped the Devil in 2019. While a lot more is now known about Johnson's life, much of it still remains shrouded in myth and legend. Oh, I think I know where this is going. The penny has just dropped for the colonel. Give us the year again. Uh, He was born in 1911. 1911. Right. Robert Johnson's mother was Julia Dodds, who was married to Charles Dodds, a landowner and furniture maker. Julia and Charles were both of biracial heritage. Oh, I know where this is going. Yep, keep going. With both whites and African-Americans among their immediate ancestors. Together, Julia and Charles had 10 children, but Robert was not one of them. Charles was run out of Hazelhurst by a lynch mob and was forced to disguise himself as a woman and flee in the dead of night. Oh, we've all done it. It's a classic for a reason. Yeah, (laughs) I had to do it just to get here to record the pod. The reasons for this are unclear. He was in debt, but it was suggested that he'd also crossed a local businessman by having the same mistress. Charles fled north up Route 55 to Memphis, Tennessee, where he changed his name to Charles Spencer. Taylor's oldest time. During his absence, Julia shacked up with uh, a lumber camp worker 10 years her junior named Noah Johnson, and Robert Johnson was born as a result. Within two years, Julia and baby Robert had joined Charles in Memphis, where Charles was now married to his new wife, Molly, who was 40 years his junior. I'm sorry, can we have a flow chart Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. 40 years his junior? Yeah. So we've got Julia and Charles, right? Yep. Julia shacks up with Noah Johnson, who's 10 years her junior, and they mm-hmm. have baby Robert. Yep. Julia and Charles already have 10 kids. Charles has run off and has now married Molly, who's 40 years his junior. So he's gone, anything I mean, you can do, like, I can do four times better. Yeah. Back, back, back in these days, you had to have, it was more of a, like a, a, sh, like a sh, shatter approach, like a shotgun approach to, to getting pregnant. You yeah. just got to like do as much as you can like to, to yep. get as pregnant as much as possible, have as many kids as possible, and then just hope that they don't die of like typhoid or you know some other... Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd have 10 and 6 that survive kind of in these <laughs> yeah. days, so... Yeah. But, you know, also, were condoms even invented? I don't know. Like, yeah, was well, pulling out even invented? I don't think pulling out was invented. That was <laughs> no, it would have been like a sheep intestine sort of <laughs> situation. Yeah, that, yeah oh, that's right. That that's was invented it. by like the whale blubber. Spartans yeah, you or something. Yeah, them out afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Totally Wait. hygienic and not weird. You're saying there's new tech? <laughs> <laughs> Julia eventually left, leaving Robert with Charles and Molly, who he didn't know, but whom he would come to regard as his parents. 
so yeah, so Julie, so Robert is not even he's not Charles's son. He's not Molly's son. But his, but his mum just like leaves him there and goes, oh, well, this is my ex-husband and a new partner. I'll catch it later. And just, bam, there you go. I got enough kids. Yeah. <laughs> Robert lived in Memphis for the next eight or nine years. He attended Carnes Avenue Coloured School and got a good primary school education. He also came into contact with blues music, which was prevalent in Memphis, particularly the Beale Street neighbourhood near where Robert lived. So confirming your thoughts on what this is, the mention of blues music. I think so, but the way you're looking at me makes me think it's a red herring. Just checking. Yeah, I'm fairly certain I I know this this story, but I I don't know know the ins and outs of it. Yeah, and this, again, like a lot of these, uh, I thought I had a fair idea of of what the story was, but it's actually even way more interesting than I thought. Okay, cool. I mean, so far I can believe it. Good. Good. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm in the same camp as you. Hugging you and believing it together. Yeah, cool. That's nice. Robert's stepbrother, Charles Melvin Leroy Spencer, taught Robert a bit of guitar and piano, and Robert Johnson's journey as a musician began. But his time in the bustling cultural hub of Memphis came to an end in 1919 when his mother, Julia, re-entered his life. She had married a sharecropper named Will Dusty Willis. And he was 16 months old. In the, pro- in the chase for a progressively younger spouse. He, he was an embryo. <laughs> she was dating sperm. He was but a thought. Um, and uh, she'd come, she had come to Memphis to take Robert to the Arkansas cotton plantation where they worked. Just want to point out that the sharecropper's name was effectively Will Willis. And double, that, that's, double Will. Yeah, yeah. So that's why they call him Dusty because Will Willis is a stupid name. Big Willie style. Got it. Well, see, that's what they should have called him, not Dusty. Well, the change. I would have called him Double Will. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, while the change must have been devastating for the young Robert, Cornforth and Wardlow write that the move opened Robert up to a new sound: the cotton field blues of the workers and of the juke joints near the plantations where the workers gathered on weekends to let their hair down. Amid the back-breaking work at various cotton farms along the Mississippi Delta, Robert continued his appreciation of music by listening to the blues musicians who drifted in and out of the area. As he grew into a teen, Robert would frequently run off, making the journey back to Memphis to be with his family. By age 15, in 1926, Robert was effectively splitting his time between Memphis and the Delta Plantations. He'd also decided he wanted to be a musician. He could play harmonica and jaw harp pretty well, and some guitar and piano. He built what was known as a diddly bow, which entailed hitting nails into the wall and running a wire between them, then using. I reckon I've built a diddly bow before. <laughs> yeah, like I... just it, it, in you know trying to renovate my house. <laughs> I actually stubbed my toe in a diddly bow once. He was yeah. trying to build a clothesline. <laughs> so then, using a bottle as a slide, he could play and sing songs on the diddly bow. He also made a harmonica holder out of hay bale wire so he could play while working in the cotton fields. It was all pretty yeah, ingenious and, and quite common for the time too, actually. He then made his own cigar box guitar before finally buying a cheap wooden guitar that was missing two strings. Eventually, Robert saved a dime and bought two more strings. Oh, good. good. Oh, you wouldn't want to like break one at a gig though, would you? No. Because then that, oh. you're, you're out of dime, you know? Yeah. You're only getting paid one dime, you know, to deal with gigs. So if that, probably, back in yeah. Days. He and the guitar became inseparable. Around 1928, Robert, uh, so he would have been about 17 at this point, Robert fell in love with a 16-year-old girl named Virginia Travis. The, the 17 and 16? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah. a different time, though. Yeah, 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 but yeah. yeah. 
The pair lied about their ages and were married. The following year, Virginia got pregnant. Robert was dabbling and playing on street corners for nickels and dimes, but he agreed to give up music and settle down to raise a family. With less than a month to go until she was due to give birth, Virginia hopped on a train to be with her grandparents for the big day. Which was tradition at the time. Potentially. I don't know. I mean, maybe that, I think that was maybe the only family she had and yeah. um, being probably a dirt poor black woman in Southern America at that time, probably not a lot of access to health stuff. So being with your grandmother, who's probably brought a whole bunch of people into the world. It has knowledge. And, yeah. 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 So, yeah. Johnson picked up his guitar and followed soon after, stopping along the way to play gigs with the plan of having some extra money when he arrived to meet his wife and daughter. But when he got to his destination, tragedy awaited. Virginia and the baby had died during childbirth and Robert had already missed the funeral. The family blamed Robert for her and the baby's death because of his passion for, quote, the devil's music, the blues. Mm. How late was he? he? He not only missed the death, but the funeral. Yeah. I don't know. He was yeah, t- a couple he- of good gigs lined up, broke a string, had to keep playing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, up that dime. Had to more work, strings. Had to, had to yeah, work play longer. two strings. Yeah. 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 As blues man Terry Harmonica Bean puts it, now there's a nickname for a blues man. <laughs> Who's always going to be a blues man? Terry Harmonica. A like Harmonica. Terry yeah. Harmonica Bean. He was Bean. set on that path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, okay. what, what do okay. you play? Oh, the drums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the <I> cello. Play- <laughs> As blues man Terry Harmonica Bean puts it, the blues was labelled the devil's music by southern preachers, disappointed that juke joints were getting bigger crowds and making more money than their Sunday sermons. So they told the largely female congregations the blues was the work of Satan in the hopes they would drag their husbands away from the bars and into church. I mean, these are the same people that, like, whatever a new genre of music comes out, it's always the devil's music. (laughs) That's Satan! Funny you should mention that. This notion that it was the devil's music was appropriated by white people who used it to denigrate, control, and besmirch black people and young people. The term would also be applied to jazz, rock and roll, rap, and metal over the years. But in America, the blues was the original devil's music. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's very consistent with uh, my knowledge of history. So that's, yeah. that's everything you know about the history of music is right there. Yeah. It's really a tradition that we've let go too. I mean, we don't classify enough music as the devil's jaunt anymore. Like, I want a new EDM track to come out and be like, that's Satan's doing. Yeah, just like straight from hell. Yeah, yeah. anything I don't like, that's the devil's music. Yeah, <laughs> trap music. It's yeah. the devil's that's music. That's the devil's music. Conforth said that after Virginia's death, Robert dedicated himself to music. Quote, he wasn't satisfied just making a living, he said in a documentary about Robert's life. Robert Johnson wanted to be a big star. By the start of 1930, Robert was living around Robinsonville, Mississippi, where he met some highly influential blues musicians, including Willie Brown and Son House, who often played together. House was well known on the blues scene already. Hang on, House is a first name? No, Sun House. His first name is Sun. Sun House. Yep. Sun House. Well, you're not going to call him House Sun, are you? That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's like he <laughs> opened calling... up a, ch- a children's book and went, All right, I'm just going to pick a page <laughs> and Sun, <laughs> and that's a house. So, yeah, that's your name. No, you're just walking down the street. What are we going to call this kid? Uh, Sun? <laughs> Looking at it's the actually, sky. It's house? Actually... Yeah. His like, third name is Jimmy. Dog? dog? Oh, maybe not dog, because we've already got a dog called Dog, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. true. His, name's, his first name is actually spelled S-O-N, so it's even simpler than that. It's wow. like, the father goes, what am I going to call my son? Son. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. it. <laughs> House was well known on the blues scene already, even though he'd only started playing about three years earlier, having given up a cr- on a career as a preacher. 
His move to Robinsonville came after a two-year stint at the notorious Parchman Farm, a.k.a. the Mississippi State Penitentiary. House was in the big house? House was in the big house. Okay, cool. Just didn't want that to to slide. Double house. Thank you. (laughs) House had been jailed for killing a man who went on a shooting spree at a juke joint, wounding House in the process. What? So he, he, he stopped an active shooter... Took down an active shooter. Yeah, and then the, shot. the cops rolled up and went, oh, we're going to take t- take away the guy who killed the yeah. guy who's killing other people. <laughs> well, you can't arrest the dead man. They've got, a, they've got a quota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Robert would sneak out to see Brown and House play at Duke Joints. Quote, he followed me and Willie around, House said in an interview prior to his death in 1988. So he, he lived a fair, fair life, son, House. And every time we'd stop to rest and set that old guitar over in the corner or something, he'd be trying to play it and just start noising to people, you know. And the folks, they'd come out and say, why don't some of y'all go down and make that boy put that thing down? He's running us crazy. Is that, is that what they said? That's what they That's said. Quote? That's yeah. what Sunhouse said. Yep. Right. I probably shouldn't have tried to do it in his voice. But it doesn't make sense if you say it like normally. Yeah. I, or, or like, it doesn't make sense if I say it in my voice is what yeah. I'm trying to say. That was a southern accent. That's great cultural appropriation. Yeah, thank Please. you. Sorry. Continue on. Mm. I'm, ca- I'm, ca- I'm cancelled again. <laughs> We're cancelled by the Icelandic. <laughs> Taj yeah, I can Ma- believe that. Taj Mahal, who, Taj Mahal, who used to play alongside Sun House in the 60s. Oh, I'm sorry. Did Taj Mahal's parents just see that someone was called House and like, I can do better than that? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I'm kind of flabbergasted <laughs> at, like, the uh, exoticness of names back then because, like... I don't. Yeah, when, I don't when you think know. Of names from the early 1900s. You're thinking like you know John, mm. Bob, uh, you know like, Cletus. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe Cletus might have been like you know 40s, 50s, yeah. or something like that. But was Taj like, Mahal on the top 10 kids list yeah, of that I year? I don't know that it was. So yeah. you guys haven't. So you guys never heard of Sun House and Taj Mahal? Uh, I haven't come across them on my Facebook. No, if that's no. what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Taj Mahal's real name is Henry St. Clair Fredericks Jr., according to the quick Google I just did. Sun House, I think his real name is actually Sun House. <laughs> oh, well, that's oh, good. So, yeah. so I won't uh, I don't know how you get the nickname Taj Mahal. <laughs> what do you have to I do to get that nickname? Because I, I want it. Sun House's real name is Edward James Sun House Jr. So his you, surname was actually House, and he was probably just called Sun. Like, come here, Sun. Yeah. Um, you, you need to be, like, standing at the front of Taj, Taj Mahal when your wife says, what do you want to call your son? And you're just, like, yeah, looking around, look around. like... <laughs> Grass, no. Taj Sand, no. Mahal. Uh, he chose his stage name Taj Mahal from dreams he'd had about Mahatma Gandhi, India, and social tolerance. And so he, that's where he picked that name from. Cool. So there you go. And had a band, Taj Mahal and the Electors for a bit. Um, but yeah, he's, these guys were all absolute blues legends. Like, yeah. I'm not massively into the blues, but I've heard of most of these guys even prior to doing the research on this. So... Um, Taj Mahal, who played alongside Sun House in the 60s, so this is 30 years on from when we're sort of talking about, said House and Brown didn't want Robert playing with their guitars in case he broke a string, so they would shoo him away. That's a dime. That's it. That's, a, that's half a dime. That's half a dime. Mm. Not on my dime. According to Conforth, Robert was frustrated by House and Brown's rebukes and thought, I'll show you. At this point, Robert disappeared. D- like... Into thin air? It just disappeared, man. Oh, but, but Did like, he turn... So he was supposed to be at work or a gig or something like that, and he just didn't show, or...? Sometime later, House and Brown were playing at a juke joint in Banks, Mississippi, when Robert walked in. They hadn't seen him in all that time. 
So how long? How long? It doesn't say specifically. And there's some debate about how long he was away for. But it was after seeing 20 him, minutes? 30 <laughs> minutes? Like, do you just go and watch an episode of Play School? Or? <laughs> he just went for a waz and come back. And then, yeah. Yeah. Um, had to punch Gunnar. <laughs> Trying to, you're trying to get that into the vernacular. Yeah, right? that's, that's the one indigenous expression you just really want to yeah. sell and get yep. people saying. Okay, cool. Get on board. All right. It's somewhere between, like, they would see him all the time. So they're playing gigs like every night in this Duke joint, and Robert Johnson is there almost every night. Yeah. So it goes from being a fixture to yeah. a ghost. And then they don't see him for, you know, it's potentially. It's potentially weeks. It's possibly months. It's potentially six months. It could be as much as a year or even two years. Okay. So, so it, it's a time. It's yep. a time. It's a time. It was an absence. Quote, Look who's coming in the door. Got a guitar on his back, said House. Oh, that's little Robert, said Brown. Yeah, that's him, said House. Boy, now where are you going with that thing? To noise somebody else to death again? Robert replied, Robert replied, No, just give me a try. To which House said, Okay. <laughs> You're going to go annoy someone? No. Okay. okay. <laughs> House said Robert had an extra string on his guitar. He turned his regular six string into a seven string. I was going to play some drop D metal. Uh, and, and you know that... It's, you drop, know, it's drop B. You, when you add a, add a string, that only summons the devil more. more. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he turned his regular six string into a seven string. Quote, something I ain't never saw before, none of us. Quote, and when that boy started playing... He was gone, said House. Robert blew everyone away. House and Brown were stunned at his sudden leap in skill level. As Robert's grandson, Stephen Johnson, put it later, Robert had gone from being, quote, unable to carry a tune in a bucket to, quote, playing in a way that they had never heard of before. I love that expression. Can't unable to carry a, a tune in a bucket. That's fantastic. I think we got some reviews from our band that said that, wasn't it, <laughs> Colonel? That's pretty eloquent from a, a Geelong Premiership forward, too. <laughs> Uh, Stephen Johnson. Oh, yes, I see what you did there. See, that was, that was a niche. That was a real niche joke. Quote, mainly for the colonel. Quote, he was outplaying everybody, said Stephen. From writer David Ruse, quote, Johnson had acquired an insane skill level and unusual technique, strumming a series of rapid-fire chords that made the guitar sound almost like a piano, a piano with three hands playing it. The third hand was the devil's hand. Do you guys know where the story's going? I mean, you know, I, he's been away for two weeks, maybe two years. We're not sure yeah. at this time. But in that time, what has he been doing? YouTube. He just hopped on YouTube. How to guitar for dummies. How could've to been, summon devil best with fiddle. Could have been traveling around, watching people play. Yeah. Doing a little thing we like to call practicing. I've, I understand this as a concept, not as a reality personally. Yeah, no, me either. <laughs> I never practice no. magic. <laughs> Eric Clapton, who you might have heard of, famous anti-vaxxer um, and blues guitarist, second, who is such a fan of Robert Johnson that he recorded a whole album of Robert Johnson's songs, described Robert's newfound playing style like this. Quote, he was simultaneously playing a disjointed bass line on the low strings, rhythm on the middle strings and lead on the treble strings while singing at the same time. It is the finest music I have ever heard. I've always trusted its purity and I always will. Conforth said everyone had the same question. Quote, how could Robert get that good that fast? The answer is that he went to the crossroads and sold his soul to the devil. We've all tried it. I mean, yeah. You know, late nights, you know, like late nights when you, you, you know, pick up your phone and you're just thinking, I'm just going to dial in the devil here 
and yeah. make that final six, ultimate six, six. request that I've always dreamed of. Oh. I would like to be slightly better at blues guitar music. If you were going to sell like your soul for anything, you you had the devil on speed dial. You've, mm. you've gone six six six. Satan yep. Yep. something's like, oh, Colonel, how's how's it going, man? What's up? Yeah, um, just wanting to uh, increase my blues guitar level slightly. That's very specific, but I could, I could probably do it. Like, are we talking just like a, a small amount? I don't want it too far because if it's too far, then people will know I've made a deal with the devil. So I just want to be oh, subtle. I like. Are it. you saying that's Robert's mistake? Is that he just went too? He went too far. He said he went said to the devil like, "I'm going to be the best blues guitarist around," and everyone's like. Must have made a deal with the devil. No, you're trying to fly I, okay, under the radar. Okay, so uh, look, I, I just want to be moderately I'm getting a little good. early here, but I'm suggesting that maybe the people that were listening to Robert uh, underestimated the ability uh, of Robert to go away and just practice for two weeks, two years. I mean, two months. Who knows? He's like, come back. There's with... a lot of tutorials on the internet. He probably just hooked into one of those. I'm going to try and sell this one to you because I think you both you both sound like a bunch of non-believers. This is the premise of the podcast, so please continue. He's come back not just being a little bit better at blues guitar. To the expert players, he's come back and he has leapfrogged them with a completely new style. Like, he is playing guitar like no one has ever played before. So, if it is two weeks, two months, that still is quite phenomenal. Okay, Okay, yes, but also, like... If you put somebody in a lounge room long enough with a guitar and enough weed and, and alcohol, <laughs> they will start doing things to that guitar that maybe you hadn't heard before or might sound really cool and interesting. Like, I don't feel like it's too far of a leap to just think that this is, you know, an earthly means. Okay. We need to go try that theory. <laughs> you mean you haven't already? Yeah. Uh, no, no, Your Honor. <laughs> All right. Well, I've I'm, tried I'm, it. I just still suck at guitar. I, 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 just <laughs> never, I never inhaled. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I got three more pages where I try to convince you with this bullshit. So let's just keep, okay, let's okay, keep. okay, okay. Sorry. Another, another of his grandsons, Michael, put it like this: "Quote, Robert went to the crossroads and he got down on his knees. He handed his guitar to the devil. The devil tuned his guitar, and before he got the guitar back, the devil said, quote, once you receive the guitar, your soul is mine. Do you want it?'" And that's how he sold his soul to the devil. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, oh, that's fine. Know, I'd probably do it. He tuned it for him too. Yeah, that's great. Like, that, you know how hard it is sometimes to tune a guitar? He probably tuned it Tennessee tuning or something too. Just reminds me. Pitch. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain it was probably the, the inspiration for the, for, for the story. But uh, this reminds me of a movie starring the Karate Kid uh, called Crossroads where he makes a deal with the devil and becomes a great guitarist. Is, is this like lining up? Yeah, and does that not is does Eric Clapton not play like the soundtrack for that album or something? Is that I, I this is a know. really believable? Can you believe it's like it? it's no. like a like maybe it would have been like mid eighties. Yeah, it was post Karate Kid. Yeah, um, 19... that was a great Britney Spears movie. Nineteen eighty six. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's yes, not the one. It's, it's not the version it's the Britney featuring Spears one, yeah. Britney Spears. No, <laughs> no, no, no. no. Yeah. It's, a, it's a different. I remember one. when she sold her soul. Yes, yeah. <laughs> for a wild hair clip. She got a bad deal, <laughs> yeah. didn't she? Nineteen eighty six. Inspired, inspired by the legend of blues musician hey, Robert Johnson. There, we go. there you go. Uh, cool. All right, and the podcast, it was though. no, it wasn't Eric Clapton. It was Ry Cooter. Sorry, apologies. He's, Sorry, he, Eric. he is, as far as I know, not an anti-vaxxer. So that's good. <laughs> A more, a more expansive version of this story that doesn't star the Karate Kid says that Robert went around asking how he could become the greatest guitarist in the world. 
it's likely he found his way to practitioners of hoodoo, a form of magic and occultism popular among African-American culture at that time that had descended from Haitian voodoo and West African religions. From these hoodoo worshippers came the suggestion to go to the crossroads, which was seen as a mystical place, as a door between worlds. All right, I'm going to drop a little, little bit of knowledge on you here, Doc. Uh, as far as magic goes, I'm pretty like anti-magic. Like I don't believe in magic, right? Magic is, is, is bupkis and rubbish, right? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to voodoo and hoodoo and you don't dare do people, mm. like, no. I, I, I will not mess with voodoo. And it's more of a like a, you know, weird... It's really gone like, out of fashion, hasn't it, voodoo? I yeah. Mean, when I, I was just, a kid, everyone had a voodoo doll. You don't, now you don't see it. It's all you don't Tamagotchis. Mess with voodoo. I feel like it's just one of those things you don't mess with. You don't mess with voodoo. So you, you and I have done a seance in a cemetery at midnight. Yes, if I had said to you, all right, next we're going to mess around with a little bit of voodoo. I would have said, you're going to do that by yourself. <laughs> well, now I know where your line is. That's good to know. Yeah, well, well hey, my line is voodoo. Everyone's going to have all a right. line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not much of a revelation. I feel like everyone's should, line should be at voodoo, right? No. No, yeah, I'd give it a go. I haven't even gone anywhere oh, well, near we, my line. <laughs> here's a little my voodoo doll that I made of you before the uh, podcast, and I'm just going to poke it here. Yeah, bring like, it. Yeah. Bring it on. I don't... Uh, yeah. That's my sweet spot. Oh, okay. Okay. Now it's Poking on. Harder. It's now on. Now it's on. Now I'm going to start sending a voodoo Start war. sending you voodoo dolls. <laughs> I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. Yeah. Back pain. There is... <laughs> I've already got Followed that. Followed by mental trauma. Oh, I got that too. Uh, there is much dispute over which crossroads Robert went to in Mississippi to make his deal. Dockery, Beauregard, Clarksdale, Rosedale, and his birthplace of Hazelhurst all claim to be home to the crossroads where Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil, as does Memphis, Tennessee. What? So how many towns is that? Uh, Dockery, Beauregard, Clarksdale, Rosedale, Hazelhurst, and Memphis. Six towns. Devil's busy. Hey, and that number again? Yeah, well. <laughs> well, okay. well. Hey, the six crossroads. Whoa. Wherever it was, Robert supposedly went there at midnight and waited. Eventually, a tall black man arrived, took Robert's guitar, tuned it, played a few songs on it before handing it back. The what be- song he played? Yeah, what did he play? Probably Tribute by Tenacious yeah, D. Yeah, definitely Tribute. <laughs> and That's then he finished with Horses. Stairway. Yeah. <laughs> horses. <laughs> play Mr. Brightside. <laughs> what were the six songs we refused to play in, in a cover band? It was Summer of 69, Horses. Brown Eyed uh, Girl. Brown Eyed Girl. Jesse's Girl. Jesse's Girl. Uh, K-San and American Pie. Is yeah, that the six? Just because it's too long. That's, that's big the six, six dude. Yeah. Well, we well, well remembered. There we go. So the devil played all those six songs. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Robert played Great those six. to summon the devil. I think that's yeah, how you summon maybe the devil. You that's, played that's those, how you summon the devel. Those, those six, six in a medley. A brown eyed girl wow. followed by Jesse's girl. Yeah, That's the real kicker. The devil appears at the Shan every Friday night, then <laughs> I'm pretty sure. It <laughs> oh, doesn't God. surprise me at all. The best-known version of Robert Johnson's story is the one about the crossroads, but there's an equally spooky version that's slightly different and that some say is more accurate. Mm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I want to get good at blues guitar, so I'm going to take some notes. Okay, well, note away. When Robert left House and Brown in Banks, Mississippi, he travelled south to Beauregard near his birthplace of Hazelhurst, reportedly in search of his birth father. It was there he met another blues guitarist by the name of Ike Zimmerman. Zimmerman's favoured place to practice was in the Beauregard Cemetery at the dead of night. 
That's actually my favorite place to practice. That's actually too. badass. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, if you're going to create a bit of a mystique about you know your ability to play guitar yeah. and and you it's know with draw Violet some people to to a gig. Like, oh, I only practice in the graveyard because the only people that can understand what I'm playing are the dead. This was for two reasons. The first, as Robert's grandson Stephen put it, was that it didn't matter how bad you played, because no one in the cemetery would complain. Yeah, story checks out. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's good. The second reason, according to Conforth, was Ike's belief that, quote, the only way to play the blues was to sit on a gravestone at midnight in a cemetery and then the ghosts would come out and they would teach you how to play the blues. So you don't actually practice or learn theory or anything like no, that? No, they're probably teaching you theory. Oh, okay. They're like yeah, teaching cool. you like about the circle the of thirds. So, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah you mix this is in. a Dorian. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Here's how to play an augmented chord. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget your ninths. <laughs> Hammer the seventh. <laughs> The notion that Robert sold his soul grew in currency due to the hard luck and misfortune that plagued his life. He got a second girl. Uh, he got a second girl pregnant. Her name was v- Vergie. You don't say Vergie. Her name was Vergie May Smith, but her family prevented Robert from having anything to, to do with Vergie or their son Claude due to Robert's connection to the devil's music. Even though he gave money to Vergie's parents for Claude on one of his few visits. Claude said he only ever saw his father twice, the final time when he was about six or seven, and Robert, Robert wasn't even allowed to talk to him. Robert fell into the life... Hey, hey, hey. Why they communicated he allowed... purely why... through blinks. Why, why wasn't he allowed to talk to him? Because uh, because Vergie's parents um, thought he played, played the devil's music, and so he wasn't allowed near... So if he spoke, he might put a spell on him. Or no, something? no, they kept the kid like in the house. Like you saw him like through the window or from the doorway, sort of. Like he, they wouldn't even let Robert go near the it's kid. Like a nice oh, right. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Robert fell into the life of a traveling musician and became known as a hard-drinking womanizer. Blues musician Jimmy Duck Holmes, who owns the oldest surviving Duke Joint, Mississippi, said Robert wore his title quote "Man of the Devil" as a badge of honor. Because that's pretty badass. Well, I mean, that, that, that sounds like a really cool road trip, like to yep. just go all the way to that place. And, yeah. And, Who yeah. doesn't want to go to the oldest Duke joint in Mississippi? Yeah, it sounds like a great start to a, like a, a modern horror film. <laughs> mm. Robert supposedly had a woman in every town he played. During his lifetime, Robert recorded just 29 songs. And it's because of these songs that people still talk about him today. And I have to say, I listened to those songs over and over while writing this, and they're amazing. It's... You know, a kind of a kind of blues music I'd never really heard before, and it does sound, you know, very different to other blues music of the time. So, so, so you specifically went out and listened to other blues music from that that, yep. that particular what, what area. Little, yeah, what little there is that survives. Yeah, yeah, yep. I listened to a bunch of other stuff, and yeah, the uh, Robert Johnson stuff is just in this whole other league, really. Right. Okay, wow. Um, these songs have helped spur on the story that he sold his soul to the devil. Among his recorded repertoire is Crossroad Blues, Hellhound on My Tail, Preaching Blues, okay, Up Jump the Devil, and Me and the Devil Blues. He really had a theme and he stuck with it once he, he did. Did, didn't That's he? one, That's two, nice. three, it's four songs out of his 29 that have got some pretty, you know, heavy devil sort of stuff going on. Some Robert Johnson fans have interpreted these songs as further evidence of his deal with the devil as the lyrics are peppered with talk of Satan and hoodoo magic. Wow. It's in a song. Okay. He wouldn't lie in a song. <laughs> yeah, Nobody ever makes stuff up was, in music. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been sitting here going, there's just nothing to... Ten-, but that, oh, that's, well, a, that's a little bit more tangible. Write what you know. 
Here's a sample lyric from Crossroad Blues. Oh, God, here we go. Standing at the crossroad, baby, rising sun going down. I believe to my soul now, poor Bob is sinking down. So he's Bob, he's Robert. Here's some lyrics from Me and the Devil. Early this morning, when you knocked upon my door and I say, hello, Satan, I believe it's time to go. Me and the devil walking side by side. Oh, Satan came to him. He can't be held responsible. All this talk of him going to the crossroads. Satan actually came to him. Yeah. Robert's career as a hard-boozing, womanizing blues man came to an abrupt end in 1938. There are differing accounts of his death, but according to fellow bluesman Sonny Boy Williamson, a jealous husband didn't take too kindly to Robert being so openly flirtatious with his wife one night at a country dance near Greenwood, Mississippi. The man provided Robert with an already opened bottle of whiskey, which Sonny Boy slapped away, telling Robert never to trust a bottle with a broken seal. Robert looked at Sonny Boy and said, don't you ever waste a $7 bottle of whiskey again. The jilted husband bought bought Robert a second bottle, which he duly drank. Over the next couple of days, Robert became increasingly unwell. Conforth and Wardlow believe Robert was poisoned with naphthalene, which comes which came from mothballs. Oh my god, that's the the mother of all hangovers, right? Like <laughs> poison poisoned two bottles of whiskey? Yeah. That's like yeah. The Gatorade's headache the headache from that. that the next day is rough. Gatorade, <laughs> Gatorade. Re- required. Oh. Robert was in poor health. He was suffering from syphilis, ulcers, and esophageal varices, which are basically varicose veins in your throat. Oh, the devil put them there, though, I'm pretty sure. Classic but calling card. The poison was not a typically deadly one, but in Robert's case, it was. He died August 16, 1938, at the age of 27. Johnson is therefore the first oh, member the of, the, of the 27 Club. And the first member of the 27 Club was killed by mothballs. Yeah, but sounds doesn't sound quite as cool when you say it like yeah. that, though. <laughs> Didn't know my wallet was so deadly. He, was, he died from poison whiskey or... To many, this early death was the devil collecting his due. Mm. Can you believe it? I, I just got to say, I love, I love, I'm fascinated by the Twenty Seven Club, which yeah. is a group of musicians who, who lived hard and died young. And I just, I love the fact that Johnson is the first one in that club because you know, then it's the whole club sort of starts with this connection to the well, devil. Yeah, it starts yeah. with this satanic yeah. devil like deal with the devil. Um, thing so of so course, did everyone like, in the Twenty Seven Club actually make a pact with the devil? I'm, I'm, don't say that. I'm working on a book. I believe I, I, <laughs> that actually it deals with that. So I, I believe copyright. He, copyright. I, copyright. I, I copyright. Copyright. He, copyright. He, he asked you the question. Oh, can yeah. I, Sorry. Miles, can you yeah. believe it, Miles? Did you want to you want to have first dibs of this? Yeah. So the question at the heart of this is: Can I believe that a deal with the devil was made? Yes. That Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil, and that made him the one of the greatest blues guitarists of all time. I'm going to say that he he probably just practiced a lot. Okay. Um, yeah. So that that's a solid no. What about he he wrote about the, the devil? What and about he, he practiced in a cemetery and the ghost taught him to play the blues? Oh, yeah, that that's one? natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Colonel. Uh, yeah. Look, it, here's where I'm at. So obviously, same same spot as you. Mm. Uh, you you can't make a deal with the devil, but. What if I'm you- going to make a deal for the devil, it's going to be like super big. Yeah, it's not yeah, going to be just make me very good at this one element of guitar. Yeah, like it's going to be. I also want to be able to fly and uh, transform myself into you know like any sort of creature at will. Yeah. Okay. 
weirdly yeah. specific, but okay. Yeah. Well, uh, like I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. But Any a, creature it as, was, got a, it. as a uh, as a mythos and and as a, a myth to create about yourself as a musician, um, and, and an act, like it's brilliant. Oh, it's great abs- marketing! It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and whether it was his intention to actually pass this off as fact, or whether it was more of just like you know, the best guitarists, the best musicians have a myth and a story around them. You know, he's probably gone, I want to create a really cool one. And he's gone right into it. He's to the point where he's playing in the graveyard. He's basically researching this thing. What comes to me, what comes to me creatively uh, to, to, you know, uh, put myself in the, in the, in the souls of the shoes of the person that is you know mm. influenced by the devil. So, uh, from that perspective, I can believe it. Like, I, I can totally believe yeah. that that he went out and sought this out and tried to to make this his you know musical identity. I love the myth around it. Like you couldn't do that these days. You couldn't be so off the record and have only four living photos of yourself. You know, like and have that mystique around you. You just couldn't do it in the in the day and age of social media and constant vigilance and monitoring and that kind of shit. It, it would have to be some super convoluted, like super you know involved story to sort of be in the same ballpark in, in today's you know mm. musical. I just love the mystique about it, and he's laid heavy into that. And I mean, if we're going to use his lyrics as any sort of proof, he unchecks himself by saying oh i went down to the crossroads and met the devil but in one another song the devil came to me like be clear about your meetings with the devil son <laughs> if that's what you're going to rely on but i oh, i love it as a mystique yeah yeah I, I i can't believe the story but i i fully believe that he did this knowingly uh as uh, to, to create a uh musical identity and in a time of like massive suppression of his culture. Yeah. Like that's awesome. Yeah. And innovation as well. Seven and, and, string guitars and, and like that's and in, awesome. in in direct contrast to the popular culture of, of the time. Yeah. Yep. And I mean the thing about mystique in music, I mean, I think about people like Bob Dylan who has always tried to sort of, you know, kind of obfuscate what it what is the truth is about his background, all this kind of stuff. Tom Waits is another one that did it to a certain extent too. You know, the white stripes coming through and then claiming they were yep. brother, are we sister. brother sister or are we husband wife? Yeah. You know, this kind of level of mystery, which we don't really see these days because it's just it's too easy it, for it, people to disprove yeah. things. Yeah. So. But also there's such a like a thirst for every little detail about people when they come yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. And we you, just want to know. You no longer have one guy living in the town who's like, he, like, I researched and he didn't really make a deal with the devil. It's like hundreds, thousands of people all yeah. over the world with access to information at yeah. their fingertips. You can't do this kind of thing mm. anymore. Yep. You've, you've both hit on some very key points though. Now we're going to in some greater detail. <laughs> A fair amount of the myth that Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil stems from Sun House. But Wardlow and Conforth said there's no evidence that House ever said anywhere that he believed Johnson had made a Faustian pact. House said... Faustian pact. That's a great word. Yeah, that's, that's the awesome. name of my next band. Yep. House said Robert was a bad guitarist, went away and came back as the greatest guitarist he'd ever seen. But nowhere is he on the record attributing this to a deal with the devil. House estimated Robert was only gone a couple of months, but researchers believe he was more likely gone anywhere from a year to three years before his triumphant return, and he spent the entirety of that time learning and playing with Ike Zimmerman. While it's probably true they did practice together in the cemetery, so that bit's, you know, that's true, 
The secret to Robert's meteoric rise was Zimmerman and lots of practice. Robert's grandson, Stephen, tracked down Zimmerman's daughter, who was very young when Robert was learning from her father. She said Robert was around the house so much, she thought he must have been her brother. Zimmerman travelled and gigged with Robert, and Zimmerman's family even claims that some of Robert's 29 songs were either written by Zimmerman or were co-written by the pair. Mm. I mean, that's that's entirely possible, right? Yeah, and so a little, a little bit of controversy there, because, you know, Robert Johnson only has 29 songs. They're all very much, you know linked to Robert Johnson that's the extent of his mm. musical you know yeah. output so to come to have someone come in and claim oh, I actually didn't write all those that's actually kind of a, but that's, a big I thing mean, as well like, that's, that's generally what, what happens when you know you're, you're mentoring with, with somebody yeah. learning yeah. Uh, how to do things just give yeah. him credit Robert died in 1938 and during his lifetime some of his best selling singles possibly sold up to 10,000 copies which is pretty good in the we're talking huge in the 30s yeah, that's yeah. huge but it wasn't until the release of the compilation album King of the Delta Blues in 1960 that his popularity blossomed. At this point, the truth about his life was already lost to the winds of time, but the Crossroads story started to bloom as a new generation began to take an interest in the life and music of Robert Johnson. This is when Sun House and fellow muso Johnny Shines, who also played with Robert Johnson, began to be asked about Robert. Their stories of Robert going from amateur to master helped fuel the legend, Although they never confirmed the legend. So where did this story about Robert Johnson selling his soul come from? It was most likely born out of a mistake. It's probably because of people confusing Robert Johnson with another blues man of the time, Tommy Johnson, who actually claimed to have sold his soul to the devil as part of his stage persona. So Robert actually never claimed this publicly? Nope. Right. Not that we're, not that we're aware of, but... You know, wow. like not not much of his life is really known. It's all been discovered sort of retroactively, which is what we're sort of getting to here. Um, people only really start talking about him in a, in a major way in the 60s. So he's been dead for 20 odd years. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, there is some suggestion. There was one point in there where he sort of kind of wore um, the, his title Man of the Devil to a certain extent. Um so, you know, somewhere it's kind of come in there and he's playing all these songs about the devil. So it he's might have just, just gone with it. It might have just come from that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this guy, Tommy Johnson. He's like, oh, come on, man. I actually sold my soul. <laughs> that was me. Yeah. It, it, so uh, Tommy Johnson's brother, Liddell, said Tommy, quote, claimed to have made a pact with old Scratch at the crossroads to add a sinister and eccentric flavor to his performances. Tommy would also sing in an eerie falsetto and carry a rabbit's foot around with him, being a powerful hoodoo symbol. He was quite the showman, quote, playing the guitar between his legs like he was riding a mule, playing it behind his head, tossing the guitar up in the air, and other acrobatic antics. As one researcher put it, Robert and Tommy weren't related, but having the same last name may have made it easy to confuse the two of them, and the story of selling his soul to the devil may have been attributed to Robert in some areas. Tommy made the claim that he, that he sold the soul, he sold to the devil. While there is no ev- real evidence to support the fact that Robert said anything of the sort, although he probably didn't deny it either. So Tommy's going around saying it. Robert maybe probably didn't say it, but also probably is didn't it deny it. Is it possible that like Tommy kind of got this shtick from Bob? Like, no, Tommy. Tommy was definitely had, he was doing it, it first. He uh, was around oh, earlier. Okay, yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. He just wasn't very talented. 
Now, Tommy's... Uh, well, no, I mean, no, in, in his time, I don't know that Tommy... There's not a huge amount of recordings of Tommy John... Oh, actually, no, there is, there's a bit. Um, but, you know, he's better known for his stage presence, and it's all part of that. Um, mm. So he, he really, you know, pitched that at the time. So Tommy's idea of having sold his soul to the devil was probably influenced by William Bunch, who was one of the most prolific black artists of the pre-World War II era. Bunch recorded under the name P. Petey Wheatstraw, the devil's son-in-law, and Petey Wheatstraw, the high sheriff from hell. <laughs> wow. The devil's son-in-law. Yeah. So he's just, he's only there because he's yeah. Yeah, just mar- by marriage. Married into it, yeah. <laughs> I'm just poking the devil's yeah. daughter. Yeah. So. Hey, but there's that's a the bold man. Person. I know, yeah. exactly. Like, that's that's more badass. Yeah. I want to hear that single, poking the devil's daughter. <laughs> he <laughs> was coming up the stairs. <laughs> he's a flickety flaming tail. I poked his daughter hard. <laughs> I knew I'd never fail. (laughs) There are many stories from history of people making deals with the devil, which serve as morality warnings or come under the category of, quote, be careful what you wish for. The legend of of Faust is the best known, in which a bored scholar agrees to hand over his soul for eternity if the devil does his bidding for a number of years. Some of these Faustian deals are born of jealousy or incredulity. 19th century violin virtuoso Niccolo Paganini was said to have been so phenomenal at his instrument that he was believed to have gotten his skills from the devil. And Paganini apparently didn't deny it. But like Robert Johnson, Paganini was blessed with long fingers, likely as a result of both of them having a genetic disorder, Marfan's syndrome. So this is part of the thing about the way that Johnson could potentially play like unlike anyone else before. He had a, like a genetic advantage. Yeah, to a certain extent, yeah. So his fingers are crazy long because of what they think is Marfan's syndrome. Tall, long, thin, typically. Of course, believing in the idea that Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil necessitates the belief in an actual physical devil. So what's more likely, that a real personification of the devil took time out of his busy schedule to tune a guitar in Mississippi, or that Robert Johnson improved his guitar playing through dedicated practice? Probably the devil now you say yeah, it like that, I, like I reckon. The devil's yeah. story, oh, now you believe it. Now that I come to a, a well-researched conclusion, you're all like, nah, yeah, fuck no, fuck that. It's, the, it's, the, it's, it's the, the devil thing. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't say the thing about the long hands. Yeah, exactly. Left that out right <laughs> yeah. to the end. Like, yeah. that should have been a detail that exactly. was told at that. the start. Wait, like, was he left-handed? No. Uh, I think he, I think was, he was left-handed. touch of the devil as yeah. well. I think he was left-handed. I can't remember. Anyway, I did this research a long time ago. Yeah, the, the left-handed left-handed people are touched by the devil. There's Naturally. no doubt there. Well, le- left-handedness is is called was called sinister. sinister. Is yeah. the Latin term for it? And, and yeah. sinistra is Italian for left. Yes. Well, Latin so, and Italian. So much of the world yeah, anyway. makes sense right right <laughs> yeah. now. Like, yeah. But there you go. And that's, pizza is Italian for pizza. That's <laughs> cappuccino. <laughs> so that's the story of Robert Johnson. Um, which, yeah, I think there's, like, even knowing the real story and, and how this legend sort of potentially came to pass is still, I find, still really interesting. Unlike a lot of these that I research and go, well, everyone was just talking bullshit the whole time. <laughs> this is actually one where even getting to, you know, digging through the bullshit is still kind of interesting, I think. Yeah, like, generally as humans, we'll look at a story 
And and we seem to think that like, you know, people from early generations were way too stupid, didn't have the resources, didn't have the knowledge and education to be able to do things. You know, we attribute the, the pyramids to aliens. We, you know, a, any kind of temple that's super fantastic, we've, we've got to, you know, say there's some kind of outside influence uh, to the people. So uh, it's kind of strikes me as a similar thing that, you know, like, white people just going, oh, yeah, like this guy it must be influenced by the devil because we've never heard anything like this before. It's so but amazing. That's yeah. just like anything, though. Anything that's too hard to comprehend yeah. for people has to be of a spiritual True. But, uh, but, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of this mythos kind of came from within the black community, I think, because to be there wasn't was a huge amount of white there wasn't a huge amount of white people going to juke joints and seeing people play but when who it, was calling it the devil's music was it the black community labeling well, it within yeah. their community so yeah it, it originally came from from um from southern churches often with black preachers mm. um and there were churches in black communities but then it became appropriated by white people as a way to to denigrate black yeah, people right. so their yep. music is the devil's music so it's it, it's a, a black term that that kind of backfired or got you know misappropriated and used against them. Yeah. So, but I think that this idea of him being, um, you know, doing a deal with the devil and then becoming awesome, it, it grew within the black community probably more so than the white community because the black community are the ones that are going to see him play initially mm. and going, holy shit, this guy's amazing. But when he's selling all these records, you know, ten thousand copies of his singles and stuff, there's probably a small percentage of of people of white people who are buying that. Um, and may not necessarily be privy to the story. Mm-hmm. And it's only 20-odd years later when um, his story kind of comes out a little bit. It's coming out from the black musicians who played with him at the time. Mm. And there's some interesting stuff that I didn't I left out of there, because, which is just about how he sort of got rediscovered in the 60s. But there's um, when this, uh, this King of the Delta Blues compilation got put out that had like, you know, like 16 of the 29 songs or something on it. It was mostly put together, I think, by an English guy who somehow got hold of the records and went, holy crap, this is amazing. Mm. And then got, it probably wasn't even much of a rights to get hold of, but he got the rights to then put out this compilation. And it just kind of, it kind of blew up. Mm. And this is the point where, and he's like, well, I'm going to get this guy over to come and play it like the Albert Hall and shit. And then they, he goes to try and find him and they go, oh no, he's dead. He died back like 20 yeah. years ago. What a crushing thing to find. Yeah. Out. Like you, you find your favorite album of all time uh, and then you find I out. can't wait to listen to his next album. That yeah. They're gone. And, yeah. And, it's kind of, touring? It's kind of like the Rodriguez thing, except the yeah, Rodriguez and, and still alive. It reminds me so yeah. much of the yeah. Rodriguez story. Yeah. I so, just love the way that his whole persona was almost accidentally given to him by a guy who... Just happened to have the same surname, but was so keen on it. Like yeah. this, this Tom Johnson had just built it up so much. He's like, "I'm the devil guy." Next, like, oh, oh, Bob Johnson was he the devil guy? And Tom's like, "No, <laughs> that's my thing." That's me. Come on. <laughs> that's and if you uh, you guys know the film Oh Brother Where Out They Are, yeah. There's a character Tommy Johnson in that who, yeah. who says he yep. sold his soul to the devil, and yeah. he's based on the the OG guy that sold his soul to the right. devil. Right. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. There's the story of Robert Johnson, which is cool. You know, that was a good story, Doc. Regardless yeah, like of that. whether it's true or not, really good story. Thanks. Yeah. All the sources for this are uh, in the best place to find it is on the Spotify for it because we don't really have social media, which is just dumb. But you know, 
whatever. And uh, there is a there's a cool little doco on uh, Netflix that's uh, about it's like a half hour version of this story, which is is cool. And there's heaps of really good um, biographies. The one I mentioned about by Conforth and Conforth and Wardlow is amazing. It only came out like two years ago, uh, three years ago, uh, but it is like the definitive deep dive. These guys have spent their whole lives researching Robert Johnson. Wow. Uh, do, do his family still have the rights to, to his music? Do you know? I, yeah, I don't know what the situation is with his with the rights. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's, um, You can now find, the interesting thing too about the 29 songs, there's actually, there's multiple takes of all the, of some, of most of the songs. Mm. Um, and you can actually, and every single take of every single song he's done is, is now, is released and out there. Well, there so. you go, listeners. You can go out, you can do your own research, finally, and, and, <laughs> and listen to, to Robert Johnson's music and, and work out for yourself whether he was actually touched by the devil. Yeah. And let us know. Get in touch on our Facebook, our Twitter, our uh, Instagram, and our Forvo. Our Pinterest, our... Um, you know what I found out today? MySpace. Pinterest has more users than Twitter. Well, okay. and that's only I... going to increase, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, this, is gonna, this is totally going to date this episode, so we'll just leave it at that. Um, thanks very much for listening, and uh, yeah. That's it. Bye. Bye. Bye.